0: Well, if you have your Bibles, would you please take them and turn to 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. We uh, are taking a little bit of a break between our Summer Through the Psalms series, which we had a blast doing. I think we're going to start making that a bit of a tradition here at Christ Bible Church, going to the, summer, uh, to, to the psalms during the summer and enjoying that together. Letting our hearts just be um, encouraged and emboldened by the songs that stir our souls. It was a great summer. We will begin our study back in Philippians next week. But just as a, a little bit of a transition, I wanted to take just one Sunday. And it's not even going to be the majority of our time together um, this morning. But I wanted to answer a question that's come my way more, more times than any other question thus far, as far as what we do here at Christ Bible Church. And the question is this. Why do we have a portion of our worship service devoted to just reading Scripture, to simply reading Scripture? And here are some of the reasons why people don't understand that or have had questions about it. Uh, number one, we don't teach after what we read, right? We just read from 2 Timothy uh, chapter four and we just read it and prayed and that was it. We didn't teach. What if we have questions? Um, why aren't we reading a passage and then teaching from it? We don't preach from that passage. I'm not preaching from Second Timothy four. I'm going to just kind of start in first Timothy four, but we won't even spend our time there uh, the, the whole of our time there We don't talk about the passage that we read. We don't have discussions about the passage that we read We don't really seem to interact with it. So what is the point of? Our time of scripture reading. Is it biblical? Is it traditional? Why do we do it? Here's the reality. The ingredients of our worship services are not up to us. What we do in a worship service cannot be determined by us. They've already been determined by God in his word. And since they matter to God, they should matter to us. And 1 Timothy 4 is where we find a command to Timothy in church to read scripture. If you have your Bibles, 1 Timothy 4, I hope you're there. Verse 13, Paul tells Timothy, until I come, give attention to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation and to teaching. Now, as a foundation of that verse, we need to go one chapter earlier. Verse 14 of 1 Timothy 3, Paul tells Timothy why he's writing this letter. He says, I'm writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long, but in case I am delayed, I write so that you will know. Here's his thesis statement for the entire letter. This is why he's writing. He wants Timothy and everybody who hears Timothy to know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. So we say, how do we act? How do we live in the church? What are we supposed to do in the church how are we supposed to act in the household of God? Well, one of the commands that is given, there are really three commands in chapter four, verse 13. One of the commands is to give careful attention to the public reading of scripture. Verse 13, there are three commands, right? We see those, read scripture, preach scripture, that's our exhortation, and teach scripture. So there are three commands that Paul gives to Timothy. These things must be done At church, if it is to be a church, if you were to have a church and it's to be a church biblically, you must read Scripture, you must preach Scripture, and you must must teach Scripture. Notice that preaching and reading are two separate things. The first command that Paul gives to Timothy was to devote himself to the public reading of Scripture. The Greek is very simply to the reading of Scripture, or it's literally to the reading. Until I come, give attention to the reading to preaching, and to teaching. So there's reading, preaching, and teaching. All it is, it's following an example that the Jewish synagogues used to do. You remember Jesus in Luke 4, got up, read from the scroll, which was the custom, and then sat down. Read the word of God. The second command that he gives is to preaching. It's exhortation, but uh, my Bible translates it to it translates it exhortation, but most often it's used to speak of preaching. That word is translated preaching, and this is just the important part of every pastor's duty is to preach the word, to herald the truth of God's word. Thus saith the Lord, and this is what you must do by what God said. So reading, and then just, just read and sit down. Then preach, read, and then preach through it. Exhort, tell people you must live differently because God has spoken. And then teach. That's the third command. It's a very important function of the pastoral duties. It is instructing the believer in Christian living. So it's how do you do this? Really, you can say you read the word, and then you preach the word, you tell people this is what you must do, and then you teach the word, and this is how you do it. We, we kind of have a teaching time in our family Bible hour. It's a little bit more of like a Sunday school, but we also have teaching during the sermon. Preaching and teaching can go hand in hand if you are telling people what they must do based on God's word, and if you are telling them how to do it based on god's word three commands but if we're honest most evangelical churches really only live out two of those commands there really isn't an extended time of simply obeying the first command to read scripture we love the last two we preach and teach every sunday we get together we preach and we teach but in most churches today there is no adherence to that first command to just simply read why is that command there? Why is that one command to read Scripture and just read Scripture there? You all know 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. I think that's the foundation of that verse. The reason why we can simply just read Scripture and know that something will happen is because all Scripture is inspired by God and it is profitable. All Scripture is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So if you simply read God's word, and the the interesting thing to note about 2 Timothy 3.16 is that Paul does not say all preached scripture brings about reproof and correction and training in righteousness. All he says is scripture alone. Scripture alone. He's not talking in 2 Timothy 3.16 about preached scripture. He will go on to say that. We read it this morning from 2 Timothy 4. But all he's saying in chapter 3 is the scriptures, as they are, as they are read, and as they are understood, and as they are absorbed by the Christian, bring about those four aspects. All you have to do is read the word of God and something will happen. The Bible is its own preacher, its own counselor, its own teacher, its own evangelist. Tim Challies says this once more, the Bible does not need to be preached in order to do this. And he's referring to second Timothy three 16 in order to correct, to reprove, to teach. It just needs to be read. God's word alone has the power to do this because those words have been breathed out by God. In that way, it has a supernatural power that no other words can have. Preaching has a role to be sure, but preaching only does what it does because the Bible is what it is. God allows us to preach and even tells us to preach, but he does not need preaching in order to change us and mature us. The Bible alone can do this. The Bible alone can do this. And then he says this if we have a de-emphasized, if we have de emphasized the public reading of the Bible because of our love for preaching, the solution is not to diminish preaching, but to re-emphasize the reading. Preaching ends up crowding out a time where we focus on just reading the Bible and sitting under the word of God. Here's a question. What do you expect when somebody gets up and reads the Bible? What do you expect when I asked him to come up and to read the Bible? We stand in honor of the reading of God's word. We don't have to do that, but we do it just to um, kind of wake our minds up to say, I'm focusing on hearing from God and I'm going to stand at attention, right? If a general is going to walk by, we're not going to be slouching in our chairs and God is so much more than a general. He is the commander of all of the armies of heaven. And so we hear him. He is our king. And when he speaks, we stand at attention. But what do you expect when somebody reads? Do you expect it to go by quickly? Do you expect it to be painfully long? Do you expect your legs to get tired when you're standing? Or do you expect that it will teach and train you? Do you expect that the Bible being read will admonish and correct you? Do you expect that as someone is reading the Bible, God himself is speaking to you and is going to convict you of sin, of unrighteousness, and teach you about who he is and how to live in a way that honors him? The reality is we should expect nothing less than that when God's word is read. I think a lot of times we, we hear the word read and we go, okay, now, now give me the message. And the message is God's word being read. God's word does that. Chalice says, again, the Bible is the very word of the living God breathed out by God and given to us to train us in all that is necessary for life and godliness. As God's people, we are deeply reliant on Scripture, trusting that the Bible is the only infallible and inerrant means, so it has no errors and it is perfect in what it's telling us to do, through which God speaks to us. For this reason, Scripture must be central to our worship services. We ought to read it, sing it, preach it every Sunday, Reading scripture is not something that we do out of duty or obligation, but something we do in delight. Trusting that it is a means by which the Lord blesses our congregation, convicts our people, and draws us to himself. To stand at the front of a church and read the Bible is to stand in the place of God and proclaim his word. So you say, well, that's all well and good, but can you show me in scripture where it says that we should be doing this. I've only given you one verse, and you go, okay, that's just one. Proof text that, and we're done, and we're good. No, I believe that the whole Bible is just replete with examples of getting up and reading God's Word and it taking effect just by simply reading it. So we're going to fly together through the Bible. We're going to start in the Old Testament, so kind of in two headings. I guess there will be three headings, really. There's Old Testament, New Testament, and then early church age, uh, the tradition that we are living in based on the apostolic age. So we've got Old Testament, New Testament, Old early church age. So we'll start with the Old Testament. Does the Bible in the Old Testament tell us to do this? I would say yes. Where does it say in the Old Testament? Let's start with Exodus 24. Go to Exodus 24. The reality is there are probably... Three dozen more passages that we could turn to than than we're going to today Um, So because of time we aren't going to have That many passages to be able to turn to I'll, i'll try and give you a handful of them We'll turn to some of them together Moses Is the first person in the old testament to actually read scripture Moses is the first person to actually read down read what has been taken down to read scripture in exodus 24 starting in verse 1 We see this account. Uh, Then God said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel, and you shall worship at a distance. Moses alone, however, shall come near to the Lord, but they shall not come near, nor shall the people come up with him. Moses came and recounted to the people all the words of the Lord, all the ordinances, and all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord has spoken we will do. So... Moses wrote down all of the words of the Lord. Then he arose early in the morning and he built an altar at the foot of the mountain with 12 pillars for the 12 tribes of Israel. He sent young men of the sons of Israel and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as peace offerings to the Lord. Moses took half of the blood and put it in the basins. The other half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do and we will be obedient. So notice that Moses writes down the words of the Lord. This is more than likely when he's talking about the book of the covenant. This is probably the Ten Commandments, what he has heard from the Lord um, on the mountain and all of the different commands that God has given. And he's reading all of the different commands that God has spoken. And notice that the people say all that the Lord has spoken. No, 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 it was Moses who spoke the words, right? But as Moses is reading, what are the people hearing and what are they expecting? They're expecting God is the one who is speaking. It's not Moses giving us you know, his ideas. It's God who is speaking to the people and they say we will be obedient. Now we know that ultimately they are not obedient. We know that they fail in that as we fail. But they hear someone else standing in the place of God, reading God's words, and they don't, they don't look to that person reading, they hear God speaking. And in hearing God speaking, they say, we will do what God has told us to do. So Moses is the first person to get up and to read scripture, to read the word of God. And as God's words are being read, the people respond by saying, God is speaking. We must do what is being said and commanded of us. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 31. Deuteronomy chapter 31, similar Now, Moses has lived uh, much longer. He's 120 years old. Deuteronomy 31, verse 1. He's 120 years old. He's no longer able to come and go. And the Lord has said to me, you shall not cross this Jordan. And if you go down, the Lord says, be strong and courageous. Go to verse 7. Um, Moses calls to Joshua. Moses is about to die, and he's about to hand over the keys, basically, to governing Israel, to Joshua. And so he calls Joshua in verse 7 and says to him in the sight of all of Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you shall go with this people into the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give to them. And you shall give it to them as an inheritance. The Lord is the one who goes ahead of you. He will be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. So because Moses is saying the Lord's going to be with you and go with you and he will lead you and guide you, he writes the law down, verse 9. He gives it to the priests, the sons of Levi, who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord, and to all the elders of Israel. Then Moses commanded them, saying, at the end of every seven years, at the time of the year of remission of debts, the year of Jubilee, at the Feast of Booths, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God at the place which he will choose, you shall read this law in front of all of Israel in their hearing." You shall read it. And who shall you read it to? All of Israel. Let's be specific. Assemble, verse 12, the people, the men, the women, the children, and the aliens. There's aliens in the Bible. Um, These are the foreigners, the foreigners who are in your town so they can hear too. So it's not just for believers or for the covenant people of God. It's for those who are on the outside, unbelievers, because they need to hear God's voice as well. So that they may hear, listen to what is the motivation, read the book of the law so that they may hear and learn and fear the Lord your God. And be careful to observe all the words of this law. Their children who have not known will hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live on the land which you're about to cross the Jordan to possess. So notice, he says, everybody's going to hear this, even the kids, even the foreigners, even people who don't believe in God, because it will evangelize them. They will learn to fear the Lord. They will learn to be careful. They will learn to hear. And in doing so, they will learn to observe the law and the words of God. Everyone's hearing. God's blessing those who are hearing. And as the book of the law is being read, God is the one that is talking. Turn to Joshua. Joshua chapter 8. Now Moses has died and Joshua is in command. Joshua chapter 8, verse 34. Just drop down there. Afterward, this is uh, the the law of Moses had been copied onto stones and had been given to Joshua. And afterward, he read, verse 34 of chapter 8, he read all of the words of the law the blessing and the curse according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded, which Joshua did not read before, before all the assembly of Israel with the women and the little ones and the strangers who were living among them. So Joshua is obeying Moses' command. But I want you to note when he is reading these words. We don't know if this is at the seven-year period. It's not explicit for us. I think that he's reading because I think he sees that people forgot. Where, what is happening in chapter 8? If you go back to the beginning of chapter 8, you'll see my Bible has a heading, The Conquest of Ai. Now, you know there were two battles that happened in Ai. The first battle, who won, Israel or Ai? Ai destroyed Israel. Why? Because they were a better military force? No, because of what happens in chapter 7, verses 16 all the way down to verse 26. The sin of Achan, because there was sin being hidden in the camp of the Israelites, God let the Aiites destroy his own people because they were not obedient to the law. And when they find out the sin, you remember they kill everyone and everything in Achan's family. They burn his tent, they stone his sheep, they kill everything. And they say, We cannot move forward until sin has been radically dealt with and then they have a conquest again they fight against ai they win and after the victory joshua says before we move on i need to read from the book of the law because apparently we forgot we forgot and everybody needs to hear again the men the women the children the little ones and the strangers everyone needs to hear so uh, this isn't explicit in the text it's explicit elsewhere so i don't think it's a stretch to say this reading the book of the law reading the bible reading the holy scriptures protects from sin if you hear and you appropriate what is being read it will protect you from sin it will guard you from sin so i believe that joshua is more than likely doing this because he sees we need to be holy when we are unholy we are, are cursed we are not blessed we need to be holy let me give you a couple just uh Because we're going to run out of time here. 2 Kings chapter 22 through 23. This is Josiah. He becomes king when he is eight years old. And then when he's 26, Hilkiah, the high priest, finds the book of the law in the temple. The temple is going to be rebuilt and refurbished. And they find the book of the law, which is probably destroyed by Manasseh or Ammon or one of the fathers before Josiah. Either way, no one had heard the law. And when they take the law out, they say, what's this book? This is the book of the law. They start to read it and reforms start happening. Just because Hilkiah opens the book, starts reading, Josiah opens the book, starts reading, all the people here and in the hearing of God's word, reforms immediately start happening just because they are reading the Bible. One pastor says it this way, unfortunately, in today's contemporary evangelical church service, the art of public reading of God's word has long been forgotten. It is, so to speak, buried underneath the rubble in the temple services, waiting for someone such as Hilkiah to find, recognize, and read for all the people. Second Chronicles 34, verses 18 through 30 give the exact same account in a little bit of a different detail, and it's a great uh, complement to 2 Kings 22 and 23. Nehemiah chapter 8 and 9. Ezra finds the book of the law and stands up and reads the book of the law, And everybody stands with him. That's actually one of the reasons why um, churches usually stand up together is because of that passage in Nehemiah chapter 8. He has all the people stand, and he reads for as long as they can stand, and he reads to all who can understand. Nehemiah 13 says the same thing, and it's a guide to them so much so that, again, reforms begin to happen. The new building of Israel happens after exile. And here's just a fun one. Esther chapter 6, uh, the king reads the word of God. Do you remember when he reads it in Esther chapter 6? He's tossing and turning in bed, and he says, I can't fall asleep. Give me the book of the law. Now, I don't know if he's saying, I can't fall asleep, so I've got to do some work, or if he's saying, I can't fall asleep, and I know what will help me fall asleep. Let me just read the Bible, and it will help me. Either way, um, I've kind of made it a habit of my own Saturday night to pretty much fall asleep to reading Scripture. Um, I, I read it before I go to sleep, and it just kind of pours over my mind and my heart. And as I'm getting sleepy and reading, it's a good thing to go to sleep reading God's Word. And so I just kind of set it down and um, go to sleep with some sort of a preparation for the holiness of what we do here on Sundays. So that's a little bit of the Old Testament. I think maybe next week or, or down the road, I'll, I'll just kind of have a paper in the back that has more references of the old testament of people getting up and reading the scriptures and something happening because they simply read joshua is not explaining joshua is just reading and the people are crying out saying yes we have sinned you say well that's the old testament they didn't have church there was no church in the old testament so none of that uh, works for us well the new testament has the same thing so let's turn the new testament really quickly Uh, luke chapter four Um, i already mentioned that one go to acts As you're turning to Acts chapter 13, uh, the Luke chapter 4 is just Jesus in the um, synagogue, as was the custom of the synagogue, to just get up and read the scroll. Um, They actually read in first century Israel in the synagogues. They read the entire Torah in three years. So they had a Bible reading plan, just like we have Bible reading plans. And they read through the entire Bible in three years. Sometimes they would teach through the passage that had been read. Sometimes they wouldn't. They would just read it. One commentator says this, The synagogue service included scripture readings interspersed with psalms, chants, a sermon, prayers, and almsgiving. We find these same elements in the early accounts of Christian worship. Reading, singing, praying, preaching, and giving. You remember Jesus would always say to the Pharisees, to anybody, how many times have you read? Have you not read? Have you not read? You know this has been read to you and you've read it yourself. It was a common practice. Acts chapter 13, verse 27. This is what um, is being picked up on here. It says, verse 27, For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, recognizing neither God nor the utterance of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled these by condemning him. So the word of God was read in the synagogue every Sabbath and simply read. Again, sometimes it was explained, but most often it was just read. And the word of God being read and pouring over your souls would be enough. Go to Acts 15, a couple chapters over. Acts 15, verse 21. For Moses, from ancient generations, has in every city those who preach him, since he is read in the synagogues every Sabbath. So again, the custom was you stand up and you just read. It's not taught. It's not explained. It's not preached. It's simply read in the synagogues. And then turn over to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4, you could also um, go to 1 Thessalonians 5, but both of these places have Paul saying, stand up and read my words to you in the midst of your church service. Um, He says it in Colossians chapter 4, verse 16. When this letter is read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and you, for your part, read my letter that is coming from Laodicea. So read this letter. Just stand up and read it in your church service. Stand up and read it. 1 Thessalonians 5 says the same thing. So it was a practice. It was a common practice, and it was a practice that, starting with our Uh, The original verse that we started with in 1 Timothy chapter 4, it was a practice that Paul commanded, continue to do this. Read the scriptures. Don't just get up and preach. Don't just get up and teach. Read the scriptures. You say, okay, but didn't that stop when the early apostles and disciples passed away? No, it continued. Justin Martyr, just one example. I have a whole page of early church fathers that say, this is what they did. Justin Martyr is just one in 100 to 165 AD is when he lived. And he wrote this. On the day which is called Sunday, so it's changed from the Sabbath to Sunday, so no longer worshiping on Saturday, we were worshiping on Sunday, we have a common assembly of all who live in the cities or in the outlying districts and the memoirs of the apostles or the writings of the prophets. So that's scripture, all in the new, all in the old. They are all read. And then he says this. You say, how long, Justin? For as long as there is time. Just keep reading. So, I mean, we have till 1.30 today, so we could just keep on reading. As long as there's time. Justin says, read the Bible. One church historian says this, the practice of reading Scripture in public spans the Testaments. It is supported by ancient example and apostolic authority, it deserves our careful attention, not only because it is an aspect of the Judeo-Christian tradition of worship, but also because of the importance of the scriptures in fashioning our understanding of God and our response to him. So, what is scripture reading? Why do we do it? Well, we do it because the Bible tells us so, right? And that's why we, we do everything. The B-I-B-L-E, that's the book for me. When it tells me to do something, I do it, right? Right. Um, Let me give you a definition, and I put this on a PowerPoint so that you could see it, so you could write it down. But this is just a little bit of a definition that, you remember Jeff Kirkland came and preached at our church a couple months back. Um, He gave this definition, and I find it most helpful to just see what reading Scripture publicly is and why it is profitable. The public reading of Scripture is the reverential, so we don't just get up and read it like we would read a, a script or something. This is not any other piece of literature it's repetitive we do this over and over again it's not just done at a special service it's done every service it's corporate it's done together it's audible it's read aloud and it's from the word of god in the regular gathering of believers for the purpose of reinforcing what god has said so this is the motivation why do we do this we reinforce what god has said we recommit oneself to obedience and we recognize both the holiness of god and the holiness that god demands from his worshipers I find that so helpful, and I'm going to leave that up there while I give you three more reasons that Austin Duncan, a pastor at Grace Community Church, has given for why we read the Bible publicly or the benefits of reading the Bible publicly. Number one, he says it combats the anemic use of Scripture. This book becomes so powerless in our minds that we just need to have somebody preach it and explain it. We don't believe that on its own, by just simply reading it, we can be changed. When you have a moment in your worship service, when you regularly open the word of God to show the people what God has says, said, it says everything about what you believe about this book. We believe this book has the power to bring life. So it combats the anemic use of scripture. Austin Duncan also says it cures historical amnesia. This helps people become acquainted with the scriptures when they're read. I have had a couple of people say in the, in the vein of curing historical amnesia, I did not know that the Bible said that. As we've read something, they've come up and said, I forgot that it was there, or I didn't know that the Bible said that. How do we live that out? And number three, Austin Duncan says that it counters, the public reading of Scripture counters a man-centered service. The worship service is not ultimately about our individual experience. It's corporately gathering together. And I would say this, and this is one of the things that I love about publicly reading Scripture. We don't read what we're going to preach on, We read from a different book and we systematically go through a book. And this is what I love about that. Maybe individually you're coming to church saying, I have a problem with lust and I know that I need to conquer this and I know I need to fight against the sin of lust. I'm struggling and I'm hoping and praying that as I go to church, I'm going to hear a sermon to help me with that issue. And then you come, you walk in the doors, Tim greets you at the door with the bulletin. You look inside hoping for, you know, how to fight sexual immorality. Yes, this is what I want. And your bulletin says, the public reading of scripture. And you go, well, that's not going to help me at all. But then somebody gets up during the scripture reading time and they read from 1 Thessalonians 4 that this is the will of God for you, your sanctification, that you would abstain from sexual immorality. And they read that passage and God has spoken to you. You see, it's not ultimately about our individual experience, but the beauty is that God in his grace gives us his word in so many different places that we can turn to, that speak to the exact problems that we're dealing with. So if we read God's word, it will, by God's grace, change us. I have eight other reasons why, and it's on this paper, um, and I put them on the PowerPoint, but we're going to run out of time because I want to do something a little different. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to save this, These eight points, they're just kind of further embellishing why we read scripture publicly. And I'm going to just make copies of this and leave it on the back table for us uh, next week so that you have these. We don't have to go through them. I was just going to read them so that you could write them down. I had them on the PowerPoint, but I didn't want to. I don't want to take up more time than um, we already have. So in conclusion, this is what I want to say because we're going to do something different. In conclusion, when a person reads the Bible, God speaks the word of god is powerful hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 it's living it's active it's sharper than any two-edged sword it does the work the preacher doesn't do the work the word of god does the work the word of god creates change isaiah 55 11 it goes forth the word of god goes forth and when it does it always accomplishes what god desires for it to accomplish every single time the bible says it won't return void back to god it accomplishes his purposes it's essential for living life, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3 says. Too often our familiarity with the Bible causes us to forget that these written words contain the very breath of God. They contain God-breathed words. And One writer says this, As the church reads and affirms what God has declared, the Spirit instructs, convicts, and guides. The public reading of Scripture will hedge the church against error. The corporate reading of the truth is a defense against falsehood. The Bible is just simply a bit of the mind and personality of God laid open for us. Tim Talley says it's impossible that we should ever go to church and ever hear too much of God's word. That's why he says, read it, speak it, sing it, pray it. Martin Luther says it this way, let the man who would hear God speak read the scriptures And John Piper says it this way. Would you like to hear God speak? Then simply read your Bible out loud. If you want to hear God speak, just read out loud and you will hear him speak. So this is what I want to do. Last week, we responded to David's commands to bless the Lord, right? Bless the Lord, O my soul. And so we, I think we sang four songs after the sermon to bless the Lord. I want to respond rightly to this We could call it a sermonette, I guess. It's very small. But I want to respond rightly to it. God's word is so powerfully important and vital that we should read God's word. And in reading it, we should expect to be changed by it. We should be interacting with it. We are hearing God speak. So we're constantly asking, what do you ask of me? What do you want from me? What do I need to do? How do I need to live? Who are you and how should I live in light of who you are? And so I think it would be only appropriate for us to have an extended time of letting God speak to us. I want to let God do the speaking. And I want to do it not only in response to the sermon, but in preparation for communion. Don't worry. You will not have to stand. Even though the Bible says that all the kids were standing, and it's totally fine. You, could, you won't have to, right? We're comfortable Christians. We're happy Americans. So we can just sit. You don't have to stand. But, I want us to spend some time reading through what we would call the upper room discourse. We're not going to read all of it. We're going to read portions of it. But I want us to, in response to knowing that God's word is powerful and in preparation for remembering the love of Jesus Christ on display on the cross and the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I want to prepare our hearts by hearing God speak, opening our hearts, laying bare before him as he speaks to us. And I want to do that now. So if you have your Bibles, John chapter 15 is where we are going to be. I'm going to ask Micah if he would come and begin by reading John 15, 1 through 17. John chapter 15. Again, you don't have to stand, but I would ask you, as these words are read, God is speaking. Expect great things from hearing God speak.